Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the super useful spell for drying snow-laden robes that's just breezed over by Mangum Reads. We are three muggles, one of whom must also explain the concept of emotions to the others. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I feel like my first questions on the question segment has now been completely addressed about, yeah, that's one of the most useful damn spells ever <laughs> that we don't even get a name for. It just happens and is gone. I happen to be going skiing this weekend oh, and would very much like to know more about this spell. <laughs> if that spell existed, when you the moment you get back in, you've got snow all over your boots, you're feeling tired and all kinds of worn out. If you can just immediately apparate heat to remove all the moisture from your clothing, people would pay a fortune for that. Correct. And yet here we are. Nameless, faceless spell. What a world. Mm-hmm. This is the laziness that I was complaining about. <laughs> I'm not going to fight you on this one. This one is, in fact, lazy. Mm-hmm. I, I still take issue with whatever you were talking about last time. So we are on chapter 21 of the fifth book of Harry Potter. The chapter name is The Eye of the Snake, which we have already made fun of. So let's please move right along from that. Done. We, um, <laughs> we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points, which I perpetually forget is a segment that we do until I announce it here at the top of the show, <laughs> and therefore do not think about until right this second. So you're just as capricious and- <laughs> of, as everybody else that awards house points. This is perfect. In, yes, in fact, I, I in learned the, the best on the, house po- <laughs> yes, on the house point award system. And then there are questions and and queries. Indeed. Uh, and Sarah, in terms of your rapid-fire recap, this chapter is a little bit longer than the last one. Um, it's yes. like 25 pages and has two sections. Yeah, it's three sections, really. Mm, um, sure. Sort of. But I, I do come better prepared this Ooh. time than I did the last time. With so. your book? Ro- Rocky three moment. <laughs> yes, that's right. I do I do have my book with me. Yeah. Um, but I also read my notes prior to getting on. <laughs> All sorts of useful things. <laughs> Made sure that they weren't autocorrected to say uh, mugs of lead or something instead of muggle. <laughs> I did. It got cut from my summary at some point as I tried to make time. But at one point I did mention Victor Crumb and it got autocorrected to drum like four times. <laughs> so I just gave up. <laughs> Well, is this a two minutes or, high, or, or you know, high water? No, we're going to put a bet oh. in. I'm mad about last time, so we're going to put a bet in. Um, I would like to bet 153. Vindication. Let's see if that can happen. Yeah, not even going for the the lazy bet, <laughs> as you might have it, BJ. All right. Well, 153 is written down. The stopwatch is here. <clears throat> uh, whenever you... I'm getting, turning it up so I can see the, the freaking stopwatch. <laughs> Hang on. There we go. Okay. This went well. Yeah, whenever you're ready. Hermione's finding it difficult to pin Hagrid down about what surprise he's got planned and what he's doing in the Forbidden Forest. And there are mixed reactions to Hagrid's return to teaching. His first day back in the classroom, though, Umbridge doesn't show, and the Gryffindors and Slytherins head into the forest to see Hagrid's trained... somethings. He calls them from the forest with a shriek, and out emerges the winged, horsey creatures that pulled the carriages at the beginning of the year. Harry's just feeling relieved that they actually exist when he realizes that nobody but him and Neville and one other boy can see them. The only way anyone else knows they're there is when bits of flesh start separating from the dead cow Hagrid put out as bait. Thestrals. Turns out people who have... Only people who have seen death can see the Thestrals, hence their bad reputation. Umbridge finally shows up and thus begins one of the most uncomfortable scenes in the books thus far. She speaks to Hagrid like he doesn't know English, immediately throws him off his game, narrates her racist notes, questions everything about his lesson on Thestrals, only goes to Malfoy and his cronies for feedback, and bullies Neville. Hermione's furious, Malfoy's thrilled. At the last EA meeting of the term, Dobby's decorated for Christmas, Angelina tells Harry that she's found replacements, not great ones, and they decide to practice everything they've learned so far. Everyone, including Neville, is doing loads better. At the end of class, Harry finds himself alone with Cho, who starts talking about Cedric, and she's teary, but she compliments him, and there's mistletoe, and she likes him. There's a kiss. Harry's still stunned by the time he gets back to the common room. Hermione has already sussed out what's going on, and uh, why Cho was crying... 
um, and so confused over the whole thing herself. Uh, both points the baffled Harry and Ron. After explaining emotions to them and prompting Harry to actually ask Cho out, uh, they all head to bed. Harry falls into confused dreams that finally morph into something else. His body's different, and he's hunting something at the end of a hallway. He's a snake, and he sinks his fangs deep into the man before Ron shakes him awake. It's Ron's dad, Harry saw, who he bit in his dream. He can't bring himself to say that it was he who was the snake, but Neville still runs for help, and Ron's nothing if not confused. McGonagall appears, and he tries to explain that it wasn't just a dream. She whisks him off to Dumbledore. A little bit, oh, little bit long. I missed my bet. I missed my you bet. Were so close. Um, 159 uh, Had you been lazy, you would have succeeded. I know. If I had taken the lazy bet, we would have been fine. Well, that's what I get. So, significantly closer uh, than last time. It's a process. Next time around, you'll kick ass. There we go. Yeah, I'm just, just getting back in the groove of things. Uh, BJ. I have... I ask with trepidation. What do you have to wheeze about? <laughs> I have some things to wheeze about. Um, I do want to note, uh, I did not count the number of M-dashes, but they're aggressive um, <laughs> and somewhat problematic. Uh, however, uh, for those following us at home and actually have a book, and now that I have a book, I can say this, on page 452, <laughs> the second paragraph is not a paragraph sentence, but I feel like we still need to address the things that are happening here. Um, it's a paragraph that, that I, I will read rather than force uh, Sarah to because she rolls her eyes at me every time I make her do this. Um, <laughs> but Hermione is rolling her eyes to start with, so we already have that covered. Mm. Hermione rolled her eyes, comma, but Harry's spirit soared, colon. Interesting. Why do we have a colon here? The thought of Christmas at the borough was truly wonderful, comma, only slightly marred by Harry's guilty feeling that he would not be able to spend the holiday with Sirius, period. Okay, we sort of have maybe two sentences there. We'll see what Sarah thinks of these sentences. He wondered whether he could possibly persuade Mrs. Weasley to invite his godfather for the festivities too, comma, but apart from the fact that he doubted whether Dumbledore would permit Sirius to leave remote place, comma, he could not help but feel that Mrs. Weasley might not want him, semicolon. They were so often at loggerheads, comma, Sirius had not contacted Harry at all since his last appearance in the fire, comma, and although Harry knew that with Umbridge on the constant watch, it would be unwise to attempt to contact him, comma, he did not like to think of Sirius alone in his mother's old house, comma, perhaps pulling a lonely cracker with Creature, period. So I would like to point out that yes, this is crazy, However, it's a little less crazy than you've presented because one of your commas is actually a period. Oh, you're right. At loggerheads, period. Yes, I yes. did miss that. So, yes, nuts, but I do want to give... Some credit for the period. Do uh, its yes. due, yes. I, I did miss I that. You're I right. Bri I briefly thought that actually the Kindle version was corrected as compared to the book, and that had ne <laughs> that, would have, that had been an entirely new thing. That had never happened before. Um, but yes, I the colon is wild here. I, we, we have all is, sorts of fun things. Um, it's, it is, for me, the colon that is most egregious. Yes. Um, I mean, we have some... I mean, the last sentence is still rough, even though it's not as aggressive. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of clauses, uh, which is appropriate, given that it's almost Christmas time. <laughs> so, I... I'm going to ask a question that I feel like needs to be a wheeze, which is how loopy is Luna Lovegood? Because I, is she loopy enough to not understand what mistletoe is? Because I feel like much more what just happened before Harry gets uh, uh, aggressive with Cho, we have him recoiling from Luna Lovegood in, in what seems to be a, she made a pass at Harry, and he was like, oh God, you're weird and gross. I, I, it's one of those things where I thought briefly from that scene that maybe it was just purely cultural, maybe it was just a muggle thing, but then Cho points it out later before she kisses Harry, so that seemed to throw a wrench into that one. Um, but, but I feel like I needed to wheeze about that because uh, it's kind of funny, and the last thing I'm going to wheeze about and I'm almost sorry, Sarah, but, but I'm a thousand percent not. Uh, Ron says, how was it? Harry says, wet. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That one's got to be intentional. That one, and that then one, it's that, followed I up know. by she's, she was crying. It's not better. It just gets worse. 
<laughs> Sometimes you write for the parents. I know. <laughs> Sometimes you're writing for a different audience. I just, yeah. This was all sorts of, I, I feel like she has to know what she's doing. I feel like she probably read some of the joke comments about oh, yeah. wands and is just like, every so often I'm going to have to make the joke and I'm just mm-hmm. going to do it and it's going to be a thing. Um, Absolutely. But, yes. Uh, uh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Anyway, the, uh, it was fun. I have way more questions. Uh, so one of which I feel like uh, could have been a wheeze, but I'm going to save it for the end and torture it with you a lot more. Um, but I will tease it, which is wizards being superstitious is hilarious. And we're going to spend a little bit more time with this. <laughs> Good thing to discuss uh, sure. more. A little bit later. Mm-hmm. However, um, we have other things to discuss. Maybe's notes? Yes. Let's do it. Uh, I love the covers. This is one of the scariest covers we've yet had in the Harry Potter series. It, uh, the cover covers. art is... Oh, oh of the chapter? Co- sorry. Yeah, the, the chapter ch- cover, yeah, the yeah. The chapter art. Uh, it also is one of the vaguer titles. Usually the titles make sense within like the first five pages of the chapter. This mm-hmm. one didn't make sense until mm-hmm. like the last three pages of the chapter. Yeah. And we're only so, like halfway into the book. This is This is, this is very much a... Like latter three quarters chapter it feels of that other way, books, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Uh, I can. I brought this up before, but I feel like Ron is just utterly incapable of realizing that he's a prefect when it comes to his siblings. It's like you have the power to punish people, and they can't do shit about it. But yeah. the moment he realizes it's Fred and George, he immediately becomes the younger sibling and runs away. Okay. However, uh, corporal retaliation or something along those lines would definitely happen no matter whether he was prefect or not. I I agree. I just dispute whether that would be any different regardless of what he does. I have to imagine that he that they friend George will just be friend George regardless of circumstances. Why not I use guess. the fact you've got some measure of power over them? <laughs> mm. uh, I do enjoy that everyone in story and out acknowledges that Crepley Plank is a superior teacher. I like that it is now, it is begrudgingly admitted even by our main trio at this point. Or at least better teacher, also more more universal agreement, a less dangerous teacher from OSHA, from an OSHA standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot that Malfoy was traumatized in the Forbidden Forest. And that was like the last time that, you know, someone other than Harry and gang went in there. So that was nice to actually have that referenced again. Continuity. Look at that. Mm-hmm. And, like, to be honest, I mean, Malfoy is terrible. Um, but not only is, like, this... He's going back into the Forbidden Forest where he has been traumatized. But he also, like, Buckbeak did slash him one. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of the things that we're, you know, we're, all, we're on Hagrid's side. And, and yeah. Malfoy did some things to lead to his own harm. But Hagrid still set up and a situation. And then melted afterwards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this yes. is... He, he, he was, in fact, injured. This is peak leopards ate my face. But to be fair, you're going to be scared of leopards after that. So, yes, it's uh-huh. one of the things that undermines. Hagrid makes a good line that has a problem with it. Of where we get to meet the Thestrals. Well, all, the, who gets to meet the Thestrals? Not a whole lot. We, the audience, get to meet the <laughs> Thestrals. Three of the people there do, including maybe Hagrid, apparently, which is interesting. It's it does seem like Hagrid can see them, right? I, that, it that, would a hundred percent be on brand for Hagrid not to be able to see them. <laughs> but I actually, um, I assume that like the easy answer for that is the first wizard war. Yeah. I, right. I, he saw a lot of, I, he saw a lot of death. And in the the, I mean, wizard I think war. the backup easy answer is giants count and yes. a bunch just yeah. died. So, and he literally just right. saw it. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be funnier to lot. address whether they counted in terms, it'd be so funny if ma- magic was racist in this world. <laughs> the, the terms are not defined. It purely is, has seen death. Does mm-hmm. your family dog count? I'm guessing not. I'm guessing it has to be sa- sapient in some way, but man, are we going to have to set parameters on that going forward? Uh, I mean, it's definitely not uh, gnomes. <laughs> no. no we, we only see them thrown. We don't see them killed. They're fine. That's true. There are no actively dead garden gnomes that we know of. Just concussed. Um Festivals, as I said before, are just unnecessarily horrifying creatures. I mean, they, they almost feel like just some, somebody drew this to be spooky on Reddit level of horrifying. Uh, it's interesting, though. Hagrid says, you know, they're ill-omened, so, but just because they look so, bad. So why are, why are they creepy, Spencer? I mean, they're skeletal horse creatures that are invisibly eating meat. It's not a great visual. 
I feel like they're almost creepier when you know that they're there and you can't see them. I fundamentally agree, yes. But I had forgotten that that scene of like strips of flesh coming off the cow was completely invisible, yeah. Ugh. Uh Hagrid's point is that they're ill omen just because they're associated with death, but uh even a dog will bite you if you bait it. He's not wrong, but the false equivalence is that a dog is a trained domesticated creature. These are ish. The, well, are I was going to say, these are the very things, much domesticated because they are pulling some of them the carriages. Carriages. Some of them are. Yes. Um, I will yeah. say that where's the skeletal part? Because, oh, skeletal body. Okay, so it's a yeah. black skeleton. So is it skeletal as in it's a skeleton it's or skeletal is it just as scrawny? In, it, Incredibly scary. It, it's extremely scrawny. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. can add to the creepiness. Yeah. Um, but. Hagrid's mistake he always makes is that he will he will use that line to justify any creature, no matter how dangerous and no, no matter how not tame. It's like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. if you treat them wrong, uh, of course they'll bite you. But his definition of wrong with some of these creatures is, if you don't bow at the right moment, it'll just murder you. But, you know, that's your fault. I mean... It's, a, it's an issue. It, it is an issue. However, there is no other training to exist in the magical world. So it, I, I, I think that to not have a Hagrid-style training either assumes that uh, the only job for anybody is in the ministry, which is fair, and you always have a desk job, but if you live in the magical world, you do need this training. Agreed, but I feel like Grubby mm-hmm. Black is going through a build in terms of you know exposure training, exposure training going up. Hagrid just kind of skips like 12 steps every now and then because he finds that much more entertaining. I don't think Grubbly Plank, Plank can see Thestrals. I don't know that, and that's an assumption. We don't have any information here. Uh, and d- d- I sort of skimmed over this part, but Umbridge can cannot. can't see the Thestrals. Okay. She's certainly acting like she can't. It's not super clear, is it? She doesn't acknowledge them, but it could just be her trying to undermine the study. It's not clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the implication that Hagrid was there when they originally got here, he's a little bit vague because he keeps on using the royal we, but his <laughs> implication is that, you know, we brought them here. That one's my favorite because it was the first one that came here. It's kind of implying that he, he's either just, you know, that one's the oldest and the most famous and he is recognizing that, or he actually was part of the bringing them here in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Not clear. We'll return to that one on questions, maybe. Uh, Sarah, as you noted... This is the most utterly blatant racism speciesism we've ever got in the books. Like, this is, is it? good old... Is it? I, I, it is, I, it's, I'll say blatant rather than necessarily the worst, because this is like good old-fashioned, yeah. good old boy levels of racism right here. This is no implication. This is no, you know, redlining, hiding it behind, you know, official, official roles or anything else. She's just being an outright asshole because she knows she can. And yeah, it is, but is it because he's half-giant? The Hermione certainly interprets it that way, and I don't think she's wrong. I I don't think she's wrong, but I feel like the the she, uh, it, it, it's certainly playing on st- uh, tropes of racism, like you yes. know, speaking slower, speaking louder, treating as if he can't understand, and just this thick. If it isn't that, it is happily dwe- delving into those common those commonalities. Yes, and I I will tell you that maybe it is not a hundred percent clear in this. Um, in this chapter, it becomes clear real fast. It, it also, if she is such a ministry lady that it feeds into the racism we've already presumed with respect to the ministry's actions that she would represent and be proud to keep representing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, she's terrible, and how she, how she's going about this <laughs> terrible. What she's doing terrible. The Slytherins, though, I'm just always left to wonder: Are they just purposeful? Do they plan these things out, or are they just opportunistically awful? Because every opportunity, they just jump on that grenade. Uh, I don't know if yep. Hermione could have inserted her foot even f- any farther in her mouth with respect to the seeing the Cestrals line when talking with Harry. It's like, oh man, I just so wish I could see him. And Harry's just like, dude, uh, p- connect the data points here. Yeah, but also Neville. Like, that that was just like a, oof, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malfoy's getting worse by the minute, but I think the main reason that he is, or at least he feels that way, is because he's getting better at it. It's like previously for so many of the books, he's always stacking like a five-year-old, and you can just dismiss it as just immature, irrelevant, and stupid. Now he's getting targeted, and they actually have some punch to them when he goes goes about his little insult. They're also just cruel. 
Like the whole thing about the quaffle and you, hey, Ron, maybe if somebody died around you, you'd be actually be able to see on the pitch. It's like, oh, God, you targeted asshole. Well done. Just dick. Yeah. On, yeah. On the, com- on the complete other side of the fence, the Weasleys are just the best people in Harry's life and a someone prove otherwise to me that they're always taking the time to think about him and make sure he's included because they know he wouldn't have anybody else well they're, when you say the weasleys molly and did well just molly really mostly just molly <laughs> the other ones are okay but molly yeah because because ron was like oh yeah oh, molly's that good that she makes the rest of the family look good i'm like, willing to use the royal weasleys because molly's just that great sure because it was like oh yeah my mom invited you weeks ago and i just didn't say anything because i didn't because i forgot because yeah. <laughs> Ron's only allowed to have one awesome moment a chapter, and it's coming later. Every uh, every other time, Ron's just on autopilot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's up from from the first book where we had one in the book. So I mean, we we have definite character improvement that is sure. huge. It's happening with a lot of them. Uh, BJ, you referenced it already, but the scene with Luna and the mistletoe I found hilarious because my read on it is that Luna is nowhere near as spacey as she likes to play up. And I think she was just purposely fucking with Harry there. But who can say? She exists in that ambiguity. Maybe. <laughs> but she's, like, gone out of her way to chat with Harry a couple of times. I, like, I don't know. I I think a kind reading is is kind, but, I don't know, it just doesn't feel accurate to me to what this character is so far. Uh, or at least, like, the interactions that we've seen her have. Because she has, like, we haven't really seen her interact with literally anybody else and she's the awkward girl so yeah, and, she, and she does seem attached to her at least wanting to associate with him but she is meant to be hard to read so interpret as you will she's a character that invites alternative views yes uh jenny is the seeker she's get her role in the story is expanding i'll be curious to see what more they go with that i suspect harry will get the position back and i will kind of be annoyed if she's just immediately sidelined because of that because i actually would like to see her continue to develop and come into her own but We'll find out. I mean, I think, uh, once, well, we'll see what, what happens. Uh, I feel like you've also glossed over, or uh, maybe, yeah, you've glossed over Have a Very Hairy Christmas, which is hilariously <laughs> clever, and and I feel like more clever than, than anything else that, that we've seen for a while. And also hilariously funny, because, like, I feel like Happy Christmas is, like, Have a Happy Christmas is just not something I've heard, but, like, maybe it's a little bit more British. Uh, but but clearly it was very funny and and comparatively like low effort to like it's clearly a drawn on like little stick to convert the peas to ours like that that is a thousand percent what happened but there are hundreds of there are a hundred of them or something like that which is even funnier two things one i highlighted it and when i was writing my notes i consciously thought Ah, no, that's perfect for BJ. He'll reference that in Wizard Weezes. So you let me down, you fuck. Uh, point number two. I do love Happy Christmas because it feels like it's actually the older phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very much British, very much like old New England. Like, Something you'd uh, see in old films? Well, no, an example for me would be The Night Before Christmas, that famous poem, whatever else mm-hmm. you read to children. It ends with Santa Claus saying, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. So, oh, you- I have... A story that I have to tell with that, and I apologize, this is not Harry Potter themed, but it is hilarious <laughs> and I have to share. Go on. So the day before Christmas Eve, Mitty got a mouse in the house. Oh, God. Mitty is BJ's cat for yeah. Yes, Mitty is, <laughs> Mitty is my cat. Girlfriend, and, play with it. <laughs> and, you know, played with it and whatever else. We finally got it out of the house. And so the next day I was like, it's perfect. We, we know for sure that there is not a mouse. <laughs> not a creature was stirring. Well, Mitty might have been galloping down the hallway. Yes, he might have been galloping down the hallway, but, but a mouse was not stirring. Mm. Uh, I really like how much Harry is running the ship when it comes to these meetings. That he is the pilot on the mm. command deck. He is calling them to order. He is setting a training regime. He even has professorial pride by the top, by watching his students improve. He Guy's has coming into his own in that regard. three years of what not to do, and then one year of what to do with the weirdest <laughs> stand-in for a good teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he seems to be doing a pretty good job. Also, sure. it, it does really feel like he's taken um, a reasonable amount of um, direction from Angela, Angelina, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, like, this is how you practice things, like, for yeah. application. That's fair. Yeah, That's he's call. yeah, he's almost like running a Quidditch practice. That is a good call. 
that's a great reference there, PJ. Uh, another thing I absolutely love is Neville continuing to come into his own as the true hero of the story. What I <laughs> what I want at the end is just the very if, if this is in the movie, I want all the scenes of Neville getting better set to the Rocky theme because I need a Rocky <laughs> montage of this guy just getting more awesome by the day. Uh, the Cho trauma is real and hurts, and I'm here for it. That I appreciate characters actually having a sense of ongoing issues, beyond just even our main trio, but just other more secondary characters in the story being affected by the world and what is had in it, and it therefore altering them going forward. That all too often, in any book series, particularly fantasy, everyone other than our main series is just kind of static and exists to react to the other characters. So the fact that an event is affecting another character and then affecting how they interact with other people going forward, quality storytelling. Well done. Keep doing more of that. I also just realized now in this moment that um, that while it's objectively pretty funny that Harry and Ron can't figure out why Cho would be feeling feeling all of the things that she's feeling and Hermione has to explain them to them that like that's also just a useful thing for younger readers who might not be able to like might just might not have the experience or capacity to know what's going on like that's actually a clever way to address that for a wide an audience of wide ages it was it it was one thing where Hermione explaining exactly what Cho's feeling felt a little ham-handed, but that mm-hmm. felt very pointedly like, okay, here's an adult with a professorial voice kind of thing speaking yeah. to the readership about how trauma works to a certain degree and how people can hide their motivations and how you can interpret them. So it was like, yes, this is a little less natural than I would necessarily prefer, but mm-hmm. it felt almost like a brief PSA message, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Harry, I share the same feeling of never knowing what the fuck to do with respect to women's actions and feeling. I wish I could say you're going to grow out of that and that eventually the world will make sense to you, but no, it's not going to go away, champ. Welcome welcome to reality and adulthood. Oh, this was a wheeze that I forgot to wheeze about, which was, I mean, they're basically the same thing, right? Divination and, like, figuring out what's going on in somebody else's brain. So, <laughs> I mean, it. come on now. Yeah. Uh, on the more way to go, champ, uh, Pointedly, the story cuts from they start. It fades to black because they're about to make out. To thirty minutes later, he made it back to the common room. Way to go, Harry! <laughs> Fan fiction to insert what the hell happened during that thirty-minute period. Um, well, all we know is it was wet. Sarah's <laughs> uh, unit. Hermione knows all, uh, and I feel like that's almost intentionally playing into the trope of either women women are wiser or women talk. But it, 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 I think it works well for the scene. And it has been set up a little bit because she's had the comments about, like, oh, she couldn't take your eyes off you at the Hogshead it, meeting, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So, like, it, you know. Hermione, Hermione's been reading it, and she's probably also wingmanning Harry to a certain degree, too, in terms of paying extra attention where Harry isn't. Yeah. I mean, but also, and we've acknowledged this, in previ- acknowledged this in previous chapters, but Harry has not dealt with his trauma. Like, no. And... No. and acknowledging that other people are traumatized by an event that you were like in the center of Mm -hmm. and probably had, well, the second worst of, at least in this, this instance, like, Mm -hmm. I I think that expecting Harry to understand how that uh, event affected anybody else is very unfair. It, it is unfair mm-hmm. and also remarkably authentic i think for the character that they portray out and show that he hasn't mm-hmm. so unfair to judge him and perfectly reasonable and interesting to see that he hasn't and watching yeah. that play out yeah yeah uh, uh, so I, I, I like that addition i also like that harry isn't appreciative of her trauma he is almost uh, he's almost put off by it that he just keeps thinking to himself, oh man, it would have been great if she didn't act that way and didn't have that going forward. It wouldn't be nice if she didn't act that way in the next step. That is so appropriately assessing his level of maturity and his own le- level of not being willing to deal with his own problems. So that felt pretty authentic that he would act and feel that way. Uh, I'm going to use the phrase emotional range of a teaspoon later because I found that an <laughs> awesome expression. That's a- that's added to my lexicon now. I, And this is also sort of a very interesting thing going on uh hermione might be the worst <laughs> go on hermione is presumably the most book smart of the people that that we meet other than maybe snape and seems to show a reasonable amount of emotional intelligence but like she's doing not nice things to ron 
she talks down to Ron a lot. And there has been significant indications that they are an item, whatever that means to them. But, but just like, oh, I'm writing letters to the dude that I have a crush on. And had he been a little bit more available, we wouldn't be a thing is kind of a bad move. Like it without anything else. I don't know. It's rough to be like, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. I, I agree that she is certainly being emotionally manipulated, but like they're not, Ron and Hermione aren't together. Okay. It's yeah, a flirtation like, at the stage. Yeah, they're they're not together in in any way, shape, or form. Like, oh, I they guess they clearly like each other and are doing the sort of teenage thing where they can't quite get it together. Gotcha. But okay, but they're not to, they're not together. Yeah. And so, like, I agree with your point that this is emotionally manipulative, but it's not like okay because it seems like some it, sort of established relationship. More like it was just because. I assume that there was a little bit going on off screen because like we've sort of had a progression of the like they haven't dealt with it mm-hmm. in terms of like they're hanging out more just the two of them. And yes, some of that could be prefect. And I don't know. I think that there was Hermione's just like, well, you never talked to me. And, and then they went off and did their own thing. And it's kind of like, I guess we have to see that on the page because it's they're two of the main characters. But like that also yeah. just feels... I guess inauthentic with Harry's having a little bit of relationships with other people with because he's the main character on the page. And I don't know, just it didn't feel right. Yeah. So it I mean, it becomes events later make it clear that like they are not a thing now. A thing now. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I think we have some hints of that in the text. Or at least that if there are, if there are a thing, it's in the incredibly early stages because of how Ron reacted when she like kissed him on the cheek when he was getting ready to go on the pitch. Like it was completely foreign what the fuck just happened. Kind just of like meltdown territory. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I only like I only bring that up specifically because I do like I I just think it's important to clock where their relationship exactly is. We are. Yeah. 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 No. BJ, you being you, I was expecting you to make a bit of a petting joke with Harry saying, Hermione asking Harry, what did you do with respect to her? And you said, well, I just kept patting her. But you missed it, so we'll let that go. Like, it's a little low, because clearly this was, like, with her crying, and... You didn't stop the earlier from making the joke, man. Okay, so, so the earlier joke was, it was very weird and unclear... And could have been in relation to other things. And then he's talking about her crying. Because that's something that J.K. Rowling put in to, to let's just say, toss somebody a bone. Sure. Uh, among the people that Harry could go to to ask for advice about women, I'm not rating Sirius that high on that list. I mean, for no other reason, the man's been in prison and not interacting with humanity for a long damn time. Right? But who else he got, I guess, from his perspective? I mean, um, there there is a very funny option. Um, there are two very funny options. One is the funniest, uh, which is Molly Weasley. Uh, who would be ha- delighted to talk who, him through these who, things. Who would be delighted. I wonder to what degree she knows how her daughter appears to feel about Harry. Probably she's aware of it. That's why I think it'd be the funniest. Mm-hmm. Um I think Mr. Weasley would would give him some reasonable advice, uh, but also be very funny. Uh, Dumbledore would be wild. <laughs> <laughs> Where should we take her for first date? The face of the moon. Um, probably the person that would give him the best advice, however, is McGonagall, because as as Spencer has been saying a lot this episode, which has been very funny, McGonagall fucks. <laughs> That's you. Don't put me in that train. I agree, but that's you. No, 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 just the word. Not that she does. Okay. Uh, cr- uh, for, me, for me, Crumb being pen pals with Hermione, I'll, I always just find very sweet. And it's, I, I think they have a, a, a cute kind of platonic relationship, and I liked Crumb when we saw him, particularly when we learned more about him, and so I like continuing to see that he actually has a friend in the world, which is the one thing that he was lacking in one most originally when he was reaching out to Hermione. I think platonic yeah. is not what... At least he wants. It's what it is, and I think he's okay with. I think he's okay with just having somebody to talk to because that's all he has. Uh, the snake dream is interesting. Uh, we've gotten <laughs> shut up. 
we've gotten Harry have these kind of dreams through the other sides before, particularly involving, I think, the snake. Do we know the snake's name? I've something forgotten. Nagini. Nagini. Uh, is is, is Voldemort's snake? I don't. We don't necessarily know that this is Nagini. It's interesting too that he is very much just seeing through the eyes because he's able to reach his own interpretive conclusions about them. He's not just like reading their thoughts, whatever else, because yeah. it's not named in there or identified or wearing a name tag that it's Ron's dad. Harry deduces that. So it's an interesting kind of thing of how this is working as compared to he's just occupying their mind for a moment. Mm-hmm. And also just to reference McGonagall, at this point, I love that McGonagall just accepts that what Harry's saying is true and they need to immediately act on it. That she has enough frame of reference at this point that there's just weird shit orbiting around Harry. Let's take it to Dumbledore immediately before I ask any further questions. There's probably been a conversation that Dumbledore had that was like, hey, if Harry says anything really weird, come get me. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that feels right. Um, If if that's not a memo, Dumbledore's not doing his job. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Sarah, you referenced it earlier. Who Who? wins the House Cup this this chapter? Okay, no. So the question is, who's the loser of the chapter? Do you you want recommendations, Sarah? Do you want to start? Um, Let's do some recommendations. I couldn't get past... (laughs) Well, I forgot to do this in the first place. But in thinking about it, I can't get past the roller coaster that Harry is on this chapter. It's not down. No, it goes up and down. It, sure. it, it is an emotional roller coaster for yeah. him. And it mm-hmm. is, it's interesting because it is like distilled down into the like weird moment with Cho before they kissed where he can't figure out like how he's supposed to feel about what is going on and what she's doing and what is happening around him. Yeah. That up and down, just spread it throughout the chapter. I just wanted to mention that as a confusing factor in <laughs> yeah. awarding house points here. But I will take nominations for loser of the chapter. Neville's a very negative moment, but he also has some positive ones later. So I think they balance out kind of, even though his trauma laid on display really just sucks. I think Hagrid doesn't have an up, though. I think Hagrid's up was his hopes and dreams that were then immediately quashed over the course of the chapter. Yeah, Hagrid was going to be my nomination for loser. And I mean, as we have discussed before, it's how they end the chapter. Um, And so... Harry does have a come down from his peak, but hmm. yeah, and we, we don't we don't at this point know how this dream and what he thinks might have happened and what he thinks his role might have been in it is going to affect him. Right. Um, we just well, essentially have him waking up and kind of panicking and knowing that he probably doesn't want to say exactly what happened, what he experienced. Yeah, I'm still going to at least give him half credit that he had a dream and he immediately tells everyone about it and tries to make active, proactive steps with respect to it. That's yeah. true. That is true. Yeah. Um, I, I think when he's in significant pain, he's like, I probably should talk to an adult yeah. or at least somebody. Yeah. Whereas like if, if he wasn't in half blinding pain, this says, he probably would have just been like, well, that's something interesting. Maybe I'll tell people in a day or two. <laughs> Admittedly, though, somebody else goes to get the adult. His yes. first reaction is turn to Ron and try to tell Ron what the hell happened. Yes. Yeah. Which which he he generally does tell either Ron or Hermione what's going on. Um, yeah. With, Sometimes with, with some alacrity. Yeah, and with some, no no small amount of resentment at times too between chapters. Though the, the advantage yes. of this one is that most of the time he's had these prophetic dreams. They're at the very beginning of the story when he's kind of pissed at people. Now yes. we're in the middle. Now we're in the middle where he is both happy to be around people and actually is around people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the other one, and I feel like going forward, we're going to have to have some rule about this, but Umbridge, Umbridge, like being shitty to people can't just be like the only thing that, that has her being a winner because like, I think she's going to do that for the next set of books. She has to get something specific. Right, like in you know, the chapter, an education decree or like yes. something happens to them through her mm-hmm. actions. It can't mm-hmm. just be like she's her. I I agree with that. Yeah, I agree I, with that. I think it works within our kind of established rule. The character has to go somewhere somewhere significant above or below their baseline. Otherwise, it's not notable. She's yeah. always going to be successfully shitty. That's what she runs on. That's her role in the story. She's good at it. 
it's got to be some kind of greater range away from that to be relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she really needs to horse around with somebody. Um, so, other, well, winners, then. I agree that Hagrid, where we see him, even though he's not, like, obviously in the end of the chapter, um, I think Hagrid's trajectory in this tra- chapter is is pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. I think, for winners, I think net, Harry ends positive pretty far. Yeah, it's, there's often yeah. some down, but it seems like even the downs don't necessarily cross into negative territory. Just yeah. confusing. I need uh, confusing. Uh, it's time to have an adult moment territory. Um, yeah. I'm, Neville, I think, like has to be mentioned, but probably is you know an honorable mention just because like As he, he generally had, is <laughs> right. I mean, he had a really good uh, DA meeting. Like he's yes. getting very yeah. proficient with spells, yeah. and he's coming into his own. But I feel like he he had that. He had that win in a different chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I will give him credit as well early on. Neville, two books ago, wouldn't have been able to answer the question of why are you able to see the Festerals? And more importantly, wouldn't be able to try to interrupt and correct Umbridge when she tries to, you know, misrepresent what he just said and what he mm-hmm. feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's progression, you know. He's not, he's, not, he's not gotten as far as he wants, wants to or needs to go, but that's a decided improvement from Neville from earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I will I will take Harry as a net winner in this chapter because everybody else is kind of on an even plane, yeah. to be honest with you. This was like uh, a five points to Slytherin, ten points to Gryffindor ha- chapter for Harry. Yeah. So, even like Malfoy has a good series of ribs and, you know, gets to undermine people around him. But he also gets, it gets very apparently thrown out to the world that he's utterly terrified of the Forbidden Forest, which I'm sure just grates on Malfoy. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cho- Cho, we got to see, is not going through a great time, even if she's able to kind of confess how she feels about another person. And the most whole thing is a little just, rough, though, yeah. Most of everybody else is just kind of orbiting. So mm-hmm. I think Harry wins because he has the most of the involvement and most of it's positive. Yeah. So I'm going to start off questions with the uh, tail end of uh, Neville, or not Neville, uh, Malfoy not losing the chapter, which is how close do you think he was to convincing his dad to go into the paper printing business and just leveling the Forbidden Forest so he just <laughs> wouldn't have to deal with it. Because that is the way he would deal with it. This wouldn't be like a, I'm going to sell yeah. off the courage and, and whatever. This is, nope, we're just going to level the whole thing. It's it's fine. It's gone now. Yeah, it's that, not uh, my problem anymore. That feels like if, if Voldemort hadn't come back and <laughs> Lucius Malfoy, like, had the extra bandwidth to deal with this. Yeah. It might have been uh, but a I, thing. I think I think I think his bandwidth got eaten up. What's by the him. Wizarding Doctor Seuss book that, that comes from it though? <laughs> um I was thinking more Fern Gully crossover for that particular plot line. Sure. Uh I, I had a question previously about the Thestrals. Have, have, has their role of drawing the carriages been a very long term thing? More recent? Was Hagrid actually involved or is he just being Speaking for Hogwarts when he's describing, you know, their origins and his favorite ones and everything. So I looked up the Thestrals um, while we were talking earlier, just on the Harry Potter wiki, and I it's not super, it's not <laughs> super clear. Um, what, what, what's your interpretation of, Her- of Hagrid's somewhat ambiguous paragraph on that point? I... Uh, are they a relatively new addition to the experience of Hogwarts? Did Hagrid play a role in bringing them, or has this been... A multi-generational older thing that Hagrid's only stepped into. I feel I'm just like... going to see if I can find a lifespan for them. <laughs> that could answer some questions if he's talking about the first one that was there. Yeah, well, and so actually, at least on the wiki, I'm not sure exactly what it says in the chapter, but um, that Tenebris was the first one born on Hogwarts grounds. Mm-hmm. So there were there was a small herd that was brought there, came mm-hmm. there, unclear, Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tenebris was the first one who was born. It doesn't really say how long they live. Um, but Hagrid did give a presentation on Thestrals to the International Confederation of Wizards in 1986. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so a- there's that. I think they, I actually think that they, I think they might have just kind of come to I think that this little herd might have come to Hogwarts in the Forbidden Forest on its own and was then tamed from there. 
I also could imagine that the Thestrals that pulled the carriages were always a thing, but they yeah. they were maybe a little bit more pressed into service or purchased slash gotten from like somewhere else. So this is like somebody has decided to uh, get into Thestral racing. Surprisingly, it's Hagrid. Um, but previously, like there were Thestrals. But... And to be fair, it does say that Hagrid suspects that this is the only trained group of Thestrals in Great Britain. And we do know that he is not above yeah. uh, getting animals from from elsewhere across the border. Uh, I feel like this is a general thing. And, and I again, I can't remember if we've discussed it before, but it feels like that the number of references that we get to like student death and dismemberment and things like that are high Mm -hmm. for not seeing a whole lot of it. So I feel like this was a common thing or it's just something that sort of happens off screen that just everybody accepts. It feels like it also has a little bit of that sort of like boarding school urban legend to it too, where stories have just gotten... A guy you know. who knew a guy who yeah. knew a guy who knew a guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, I feel like it's either that or there's like a, a equivalent to certain three-letter organizations, just a wall of stars. Um, yeah. That, that They're just under the houses. There's like a, a running tally. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm blanking on her name. What is the name of the ghost girl that lives in the bathroom? Moaning Myrtle. The fact that she's special and kind of unique feels like the actual body count at Hogwarts has not been as high as the kind of stories suggest, or also just reflects the state of medical science that you can be directly dismembered and apparently they can just keep you alive and do something about that too. I mean, like, how many bones did Harry regrow at one point? Like, like his whole hand yeah. or arm or whatever, yeah. I mean, but but to be fair, like, we don't have an accurate understanding of how ghosts happen. No, so that, that a yeah. student turned into a ghost is a surprising thing that a student died probably was just a Tuesday. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, it could explain how there are a lot of, uh, the number of wizards that actually make it out into the world and need jobs is lower because mm-hmm. uh, there's some attrition. <laughs> this, is, this is like the Spartan training on the strong survive or those most befitting the ministry rules? Uh, I guess, or, well, yeah, I was... Okay. Uh, oh God, what's that Japanese movie that I was just talking to Levi about, uh, where they have the exploding colors. It's a third. Oh, um, battle Royale. Yes. That one. Yes. Um, anyway, book series beforehand too. Uh, I actually don't have any other questions. Oh, I have more questions. Uh, again, I feel like we have to have talked about this, but can Hagrid affect house points? Like is, is he more of like an honorary teacher? I think so. I don't think we really see him. He does. He does in this chapter. He gives. He gives house points to Hermione, right? Mm-hmm. He does. Gives ten to Gryffindor. First time it's ever happened. I feel like does it actually count? <laughs> it is more kind of my question here than, uh, but you know we're gonna say hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I don't know that this is ever confirmed or denied, but it would unfortunately not really surprise me if they just quietly never happened. I would be very unhappy if he is if that's not if he is, if he is a professor in name only. Um, and I, I guess I just wanted to spend a little time sitting with what are wizard superstitions because it's sort of the funniest thing. Like, I feel like the whole thing about superstitions is because none of that is real and people like do things because like they feel like they can magically affect luck or whatever it is. Yeah, and so. To be in a magical world that you can do these fantastic things and then have superstitions is hilarious. Well, and- yeah, I mean, you do have the like, oh, wait, I found a list of, hold on, I found a list of wizarding superstitions. Oh, my God. But I, I also, for, for some reason, what also just popped into my head was, can you imagine what an OCD wizard would be like? Uh. You know, you, you like... Okay, I have to turn the mouse into a snuff box 11 times or I can't get on with my day. In my, in my mind, I would think that being in a wizarding world would actually lead to even more superstitions because you have no limit to what you think could be happening or could happen or what could cause it to happen. Like, you are utterly unconstrained from the usual parameters of physics and reality. Superstitions are your world because it's magic everywhere. So you basically become the uh, dancing pigeons. 
Sure, yes, that. So, hold on, some of these are wild. <laughs> Go on. Pick, 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 pick two favorites. So, I, I, once you like read through, Spencer, I'm gonna. Do you know about the the dancing pigeons? No, I was playing that off entirely. <laughs> uh, that's what I figured. So it's a really funny thing, and I think it's really apropos to this. So basically, uh, when they used to do uh, behavior experiments with pigeons, they mm-hmm. would uh, they took some pigeons and just randomly rewarded them, and so they used they basically had these rituals that they would perform to try and get reward, but it was completely random. So they had these like intricate dances that they would do to try and get essentially <laughs> mana from what heaven because- What was the trigger? Exactly. And so in a world that made absolutely no sense that literally anything could happen, they just started doing really weird things. I, I do adore that pigeons apparently could have the correlation is not causation problem. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Find a couple favorites to wrap us up with? Bad luck can be prevented by turning three times on the spot and deliberately splinching one's thumbs. Do we need to Google what splinching is? Uh, no, it's when you apparate, but you leave a part behind. Oh, Jesus. We've talked about this, right? I don't think so. I I don't think we've talked a whole lot. No, we did, because it was when, like, Percy and, um... Maybe, I think it was when Fred and George, I think it might have been at the beginning of oh, this book, Fred and George and, were, had yeah. done their apparition test and there was a yeah. lot of talk about about splinching. Yes, so if you don't apparate correctly, you can leave a part of yourself behind and sometimes you kill yourself doing that. But at least you'll cure bad luck. Yes. Um, or I've never heard that's of that's the bad it. luck that catches up with you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, when his wand's oak and hers is holly, then to marry would be folly. Oh, so this is like... <laughs> it's like star uh, signs. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was going to say uh, the Chinese placemats that you used to get all the time. Where oh, it's yeah. Just like, well. <laughs> yep. Chinese calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, those are, I think, my two favorites of this list, but that is <laughs> fascinating. Let, let, let us wrap up by looking at the next chapter image. Yes, let's do it. There's more snakes. More snakes. So we're moving on oh. to chapter 22, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Oh, I no. feel like it, we finally actually get this, mm-hmm. which will be interesting to see. Yep. This is this, this could be, be hurtful and sad to see. We know who's here. This is actually, I'm, I don't think this is a spoiler. This is a like pretty big chapter, actually. I would expect and hope yes. so. Well, y'all, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be an exciting read and an even more exciting discussion. Next time.